So inevitably, here's what happens. If you've got a two-parent home, one of them, if they're selfish, will not sacrifice for what the family needs, only for what they're wanting to give. By the way, that's the case with adults in the workplace, right? you got a coworker, and, and whenever they're asked to do something they don't want to do, they do it half-heartedly at best, if at all. And when they do things they want to do, it's like, come on, guys, let's go. We can do this. Let's be a team. And like, they're, they want to be in charge on the things they want to do. The things they don't want to do, they're like the worst person to work with. Because human nature, it, it, it has an aversion to making sacrifices for other people. And so if you've got two parents, one parent doesn't want to make the sacrifice, that puts the burden on the second parent to make sacrifices that two should be making. They're now making them all themselves. Now, inevitably, that's unsustainable for most families, especially large families with multiple kids, especially families with children who have extra needs, if it's special needs or maybe they're really young, uh, whatever it might be. That's, that you're, you, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. So you've got one parent, whether it's the dad or the mom, who's not willing to sacrifice. The other one has to make double the sacrifice. Inevitably, it's going to break them. That's when that parent goes into depression, goes into extreme mental health problems, uh, at least discouragement, if nothing else, right? It's going to turn to anger and bitterness. That spouse is going to be angry and bitter at the one who's not making the sacrifices. But then what is the first spouse's response going to be? Of course I'm making sacrifices. Don't you see me working 60 hours a week? You get to stay home with the kids, they will say. You only have a part-time job. Then you get to go home with the kids, they'll say. So they make the second spouse feel bad almost little, almost unnecessary, they make the second spouse feel like they are not sacrificing as much as the first spouse, which in reality, both are sacrificing. The first spouse gets to choose their sacrifices, and the second spouse is left with whatever sacrifices remain. <laughs> but the first spouse doesn't see it that way. They're not going to tell them that. They're not going to, to be as upfront or clear. They're going to make the second spouse feel like they're the problem. And so the second spouse continues making sacrifices no one else wants to make and has to be made until they can no longer do it. And so in the end, who is left making the sacrifices? The children. In the end, when the adults, and we're going to talk about this too, when the adults are no longer capable or willing to make the sacrifices in the classroom, in the home, in the family unit, the children now are the ones who have to sacrifice. And that is when you find homes where children are being abused emotionally, spiritually, uh, of course, sexually is a different scenario altogether, but uh, abuse where they're not being taken care of, mal- malnourished. Children are making sacrifices because they have adults in their life who will not make sacrifices or who will not make the right ones. If you have children in your life, in church, in school, in your family, you're a parent, you're a parent figure, you're an adult with authority over children, you have to understand this. You must sacrifice for them. And you don't always get to choose which sacrifices you have to make. When it comes to children, I guarantee you, there will be sacrifices you won't want to make but are necessary, and you've got to make them. Because if you don't, someone else will until they no longer can, and now the children will sacrifice. So get out of your head of what you think raising children will look like. For some of you with children who are older, you, that's already happened. You, that thought was long eliminated. <laughs> Get out of your head what you think working with children will look like. Because as we move from generation to generation, it no longer looks the same. 
I spoke with an older teacher not long ago, not at our school. This was a, uh, I've, had this, I've had this conversation more than once. Different women, usually women from different schools, just because the majority of teachers are women. I've had it at least three times that I can remember. But the conversation generally goes, I can no longer teach these kids. It's not just my age. What they require, what is expected, um, the way the classrooms are handled is just not what I'm willing to do, wanting to do, able to do. It's not what it was 80 years ago. I'm sorry, 1980, (laughs) really old. Not what it was back in the 80s or 90s. It's not like it was. I just can't do this anymore. What they're really saying is I'm not willing to make the sacrifices this generation requires. That's what's being said. Because the truth is, the 1980s, 1990s, there were sacrifices that had to be made. But let's be honest, in that cultural time, kids really didn't need possibly as much sacrifice the way they were raised, the way the culture viewed kids. The sacrifices for children were not as, maybe, you may say, prevalent for such a long time. Uh, children grew up quicker, you might say. And teachers and parents are realizing now in today's culture, 2022, that children are not growing up nearly as fast, and middle schoolers and high schoolers almost, I'm not saying it should be this way, I'm just saying it is, require as much sacrifices as elementary. And there's a reason why teachers teach high school, because they know I can't sacrifice what an elementary student is uh, and needs are. And they go into high school and they teach, and that high school student uh, you know, can, cannot do anything <laughs> for themselves. And they thought, if I wanted to do this, I would have taught preschool, <laughs> right? And so they say, if that's how it is, then I'm not teaching at all. I'm sure there's other factors. I know one teacher mentioned to me, uh, public school, she said, I walked in the classroom, and there were death threats on the board. She said, I walked out, gave my resignation, and never turned back. <laughs> I mean, the students were literally telling the teacher, we're going to kill you. So, you know, I, I get it. There's other reasons why you'd quit. But uh, children need sacrifices, and more now than ever. And it's, it's, there's a variety of reasons. Because children have not been raised to grow up. Children have not been raised to mature. Children have not been raised as a whole to be independent. They've been raised to think you can do whatever you want, however you want, for whatever reason you want, follow your heart, follow your dream, live your own truth. And so inevitably, they will remain children to a much older age than they should. So the parents' sacrifice. I do have the handouts in the back, I believe there's some left. If any of you want them, it's not required to be in our Bible study, but if you did want to follow along, they're sitting in the back row against the wall. Let's turn to Psalm 127 and verses 3 and 5. So our first point this morning, God didn't choose who would be our children only. He also chose who would be their parents. We often think of Psalm 127. I'm going to turn there where it talks about children being a gift. Children are a blessing. They are a gift. Uh, Their heritage, verse 3, and heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Meaning, uh, there was actually bragging rights to how many kids you had. Back then, the more kids you had, the more honor you were as a mom or a dad. You, you could actually be given positions of status in this community just because you had a large family. Kind of feel bad for the women if their, their job was to bring honor to the family. That included bringing into the world as many children as your body allowed. I have uh, people that I know that still feel that way, that, that look at this verse and take this verse in that manner, that I have more spiritual status. Uh, God is more pleased with me. I've heard the phrase of, well, why would you turn away a blessing? Why would you say no to a gift? And if children are a gift, why would you limit how many gifts you receive? So I've known people, actually quite a few of them, um, their wives, uh, the mothers are having uh, 8, 12, 
I had a family when I was younger, had 13, I think, plus. I, I, they, I left, and they were still having children, so I don't know what they had when I left. They were like 12 or 13 when I, when I moved. And I got to tell you, those women, those moms, look like they had 13 children. They look like they had eight children. There, there is a cost to pay for the moms. Not usually for the dads. That, you know, you look at it in almost every large family, I'm not saying all, you will see the dad looks pretty sharp. He looks very professional, uh, fairly young, and the mom looks, looks ragged. Why? Because the dad is the one working 50, 60 hours at the, at the workplace. The guy's got to to raise that kind of money for that family. And he's around adults, so he's used to being professional, and he looks professional. The mom is around 8 to 12 kids all day, every day, and she looks like it. I knew a family who had that belief. The husband believed that um, it would be almost a sin to say no to God's blessing. So his wife kept having more children. She, she commented one time, actually said out loud, I guess what everyone's thinking. She says, all I am is just a baby maker in this family, she said. And you could see she was looking very tired. And they were only at seven children last I checked, so I don't know how that would look if they keep going because his philosophy is never stop. I don't have that belief. My wife and I had four, and I was completely happy. And I said, I think we're done, hon. And she said, I don't know. I think we could do one more. I said, you got to consider. It's not how we feel when we have them. It's how will we feel when they're 16 and we still have them. That is the question we have to ask ourselves. And she said, I'll be okay. I said, well, look, you know, you may say that now. We'll see. We had our fifth, you know, of course, Drake. And then I said, honey, we are done. It's not a debate anymore. We are done having kids. I mean, I'm, I, I can't be 55 and have a 16-year-old runner, right? Or, you know, eight, 65, excuse me. I can't be 65 or whatever it might be and have a, a, a 16-year-old. Just not going to work for me. So we're done now, Lord willing. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts. Give them to someone else. Uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6. I don't believe that it's appropriate for us just to view that children are a gift to us. We must have a balanced view. It is true. Children are a gift to the parents. By the way, I have seen children be a gift to me who aren't my own. Children that, I, that I've worked with in youth group, in school, I've seen them as a gift. God has gifted me the opportunity to have them in my life for a short time that I can help influence and, and in some way partner with the parents to train and educate, and that's a beautiful thing. But verse 6 of Proverbs 17, children's children are the crown of old men. There's that idea of what children do for us. They bring us honor. They're a gift of God to us. But look at the end of that verse, and the glory of children are their fathers. Now, just because we're looking at one verse that mentions fathers doesn't mean that only fathers are a glory to a child. Obviously, both parents. There's other verses in Proverbs that talk about a mother and a father in the family unit. But the point is this. We are also a gift to the children. I think a lot of adults consider children as don't speak, you know, don't do anything that would distract me. You're the gift to me, and I'll play with you, and I'll hang out with you when I want to because you're the gift. And that philosophy is completely one-sided and will damage the child at best emotionally, at best. We have to remember that as adults, we are the gift of God to the child as well. And it's not always up to us on how we want, when we want to spend time with the gifts in our life. Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, when do we need to be the gift to that child? When do we need to sacrifice for that child? Because that child will literally find glory, and they themselves will also feel a sense of honor based off of the adult in their life. Let me give you some examples. I think one of the best ones outside the family unit is a team. Often football teams are the, 
are the ones where you'll find it most evident because football teams require so much physically from the child, from the student, boy or girl. There's girls that play football too. And you will find that those kids will brag on their football coach almost every time, even like the horrible coaches who are just downright mean. Those kids will brag on that coach. Those kids will honor and lift up that coach. Why? Because those kids find a sense of, in themselves, purpose, of acceptance in that team, even from a guy who's not a nice guy, a coach who's, who's abusive to that team. And they will almost feel better about themselves because of who their coach is. If you pay attention and, pay, and watch how children teach their coaches, how children, excuse me, how children react to their coaches, you will see that that, that child um, has glory on them because of the adult in their life, the adult that invests in them. I'm not saying it's wrong. I think that that's a reality whether you like it or not. So I, you might say take advantage of that as a coach and try to be a, a figure to these kids they can look up to. But it needs to be true in the home first. What is a real shame is when children are glorying in their teachers, in their coaches, glorying in music instructors, and, and belittling and dishonoring their parents. That is when we have a problem. It is, it, is a, it is a great thing if the child has more than one adult they can glory in. That, that I hope for my daughters and my son that's the case. I do want my children to love my teachers, and they do. My kids talk about the teachers often, and I want them to, to glory in the fact that they have great teachers and to talk about their teachers and to feel confident because they're in your class. I want that, but I would be concerned if that's only said about the teachers and never about their mother, never about me to someone else, then that means the other adults in their life are making sacrifices for my children that mean more to my children than I'm making. Now, I can get upset about that, or I can ask myself why that is the case and adjust the sacrifices I am making to meet the need of the child rather than fulfill my own personal, emotional desire to make a sacrifice and say it's all good. So we are a gift to the children in our life as well. Verse number two, if the parent does not sacrifice for the children, the children must sacrifice for the parent. I had mentioned that during kind of you might call our introduction, that it, it often is a domino effect. What you're going to find in families is there will be a one-parent home, and so inevitably one parent is making the sacrifices of two or it is a two-parent home, but it might as well be a one-parent because one of the parents is making sacrifices, but all the wrong sacrifices, or sacrifices that don't help the family, only that one parent, or sacrifices that the family does not need. Maybe the family wants. They want more money, but they don't need more money. So one of the parents is working a lot of hours to give more money, even though it's not what the family needs, so it's the wrong sacrifices. So one parent is left again making all the hard sacrifices. You can only do that for so long until you just can't do it anymore. You're only human. You will break. You will, at some point, come to the end, and it will be messy. It will be chaotic. There will likely be screaming involved, yelling, arguing. There might even be inanimate objects being thrown around the room. It's a high possibility. There will probably be um, anger directed at the wrong people. This parent who's finally lost it and can no longer make the sacrifices for two will then start yelling at the children. It's not their fault that, that the spouse is left with more sacrifices they can handle. That's not the child's fault. But the child will feel it's their fault. Why would they feel that way? Because you're yelling at them. So, of course, they're going to feel it's their fault. They don't have the, 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 
capability to process what's going on. They just know you're yelling at them, and so they think it must be my fault. So now when they see the parent breaking down, the child is going to say they're breaking down because of me. So now the child is going to, in their head, do one of two things. Break themselves and become a complete emotional wreck. Or try to, in their head, in their heart, grow up fast so they no longer place the burden on you as a parent. Now, the ones who grow up fast, they may look okay on the outside. They're still a wreck on the inside because they didn't have a healthy, mature way to grow up. They grew up in in a state of anxiety and stress and guilt and regret because you place that on them, yelling at them as a parent. So they, they put on a facade, not maybe not just because they want you to stop yelling at them. They probably really love you. So they put on a facade so that you would not feel the stress any longer. So they try to be someone they're not. They try to grow up faster than they are so you as an adult don't have to make the sacrifice. By the way, that's, the, that's true in a classroom setting. Students will do one of two things, emotional wrecks, or adjust outwardly so they don't stress the teacher out, either because they don't want to be yelled at or because they love you and don't want to put that burden on you. But they're really not growing in a healthy way. Or they'll be an emotional wreck themselves, need counseling, live with that regret, live with that stress, that depression, because they will always think, I destroyed my parents. I destroyed their marriage. I destroyed my dad's emotional stability. Like every time I was around, like he was happy when he walked in the door. Five minutes later, he's screaming, so it must have been me. I destroyed my mom. Like I remember my mom smiling, but that was a long time ago. Ever, like most of my childhood uh, has been her not smiling, and the only thing I can think of is just me. When we are making all the sacrifices and we're not sharing that burden, we are we are probably heading down a path of destruction that will hurt our children the most. So for those that say, well, Pastor Russ, what's the answer? I've got a spouse who will not make the right sacrifices. Then you've got to have a conversation with that spouse and stop letting them play with you like a little, like a little mouse, right? Stop let, letting them be the cat treating you like the mouse. Oh, come over here. Oh, come over here. Oh, come over here, right? And they're just playing with you. You've ever seen a cat I have where the, the mouse is caught. The cat, like, lets it go high and then catches it again, like, bats it around, right? The mouse is not in control. The cat's in control. But the cat lets the mouse think it's control sometimes, right? You, 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 oh, you're free, huh? Oh, no, you're not, and it brings it back in, right? You're free, and then smacks it down, right? So a cat will play mind games with the mouse. I don't know why cats are so cruel, but they, they are. Stop letting your spouse treat you like that. They're playing mind games with you. They're thinking you're letting you in control. They're thinking, oh, but you have this freedom, but you really don't. And then they bat you back down again. Call them out and say, look, I get you're making sacrifices. Be upfront with them. You're making sacrifices, right? You're, you're working double the work hours that I do. I'm not denying you're making sacrifices. Let's be straight up. You're not making the ones I need. All right, the response might be, well, this family needs money. This family has a mortgage. This family has a, a car payment, right? You're going to say these things. Then you need to be straight up with the spouse again and say, the family has more needs than financial. So can we talk about all the needs that the family has, not just the financial ones, and let's, let's make a decision together as a team on how many financial sacrifices does this family needs and how many non-financial, and let's share the burden of both. Or let's come to a conclusion on how it's going to look. But it can't be you take all the financial and I take all the rest because it's breaking me. Well, I'm stressed too. Well, then even more reason to have this conversation, not less reason. All right? Make sacrifices, and that might require letting some things go. 
if you're letting more hours go, you're letting more money go, inevitably you need to let some things go that that money bought, and you got to do that for the kids so you can both be successful. You say, well, Pastor Russ, I've done that. My spouse is not willing. Get counseling. I've done that. They're not changing. At some point, you need to, as a spouse, make it so your other spouse is not enabled to keep doing what they're doing. And that may mean some very hard decisions. I can't tell you how that would look in this room. Not appropriate. But some very hard choices might need to be made so your spouse gets the hint. If you're not married and you're a single parent, then the answer is get other people in your life you can share the sacrifices with. And fortunately, you have a church family that can help you with that. Grandparents are great as long as the grandparents are willing to make the right kinds of sacrifices. Grandparents inevitably make the sacrifices they only want to make. And now you're back to the same scenario that we had with with two spouses, right? They'll make the sacrifices, but not the ones your kids need. In fact, they're spoiling your kids. And then they'll say, but I'm making sacrifices. I'm watching the kids. Yeah, but every time they come back from your house, they're worse. So, you know, grandparents aren't always the answer. They got to be grandparents who will make the right sacrifices. People, adults are not always the answer. Don't just put your kid on as many teams as they can get on. Put them with adults who will make the right sacrifices for your kids, the ones they need. Share the burden with adults who have that wisdom and ability to make the sacrifices for the kids. Because if you don't, children inevitably will pay the price. Number three, as the child gets older, you should make less sacrifices. Turn to Proverbs 22. You cannot treat an 18-year-old the same way you treat an 8-year-old whether in um, how you talk to them or what you require of them. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Should a child be trained so they can be independent? Yes. Should a child be trained so that when they're older, they can wash their own clothes? Yes. Fold their own clothes? Yes. Wash their own dishes? Yes. Make their own food? Yes. So if you keep making all those sacrifices, folding, washing, cleaning, picking up after at their time they're 18, have you trained them to do those things? No, you have not. You've trained them to be dependent on other people, and they will be that way for the rest of their life until they retrain themselves or someone else does. Train up a child in the way they should go. They should be trained to be resourceful, independent young men and women. You do not necessarily uh, begin that at 18. (laughs) You should have begun that at a much younger age. And as they get older, the dependence and independence begin to flip. Their independence at four years old should be extremely minor. There are some things a three-year-old should be able to do on their own, right? Some things. Most of it will be dependent on the adults of their life, whether you as a parent, teachers, um, coaches, whatever. Most of it, they're dependent, even on teams, right? Coaching a six-year-old, a team of six-year-olds is looking much different than 16-year-olds, I hope. But as they get older, the dependence and independence will start to balance out, And then at somewhere in their teen years, the independence will outweigh the dependence, and now you're doing less than the child is doing for themselves. Now the child is doing more for themselves. And your goal is by the time they're 18 moved out, the child is essentially doing everything for themselves by that time so that when they move out, it's seamless. They know how to do everything. They are doing everything, and they will do everything for themselves. You are are not helping your child if you say, here you go, off on your own, and there's so much they've never done for themselves yet. The um, truth is a lot of parents don't know how that looks. A lot of adults don't know how that looks. They don't know the balance. They treat young children like they're teenagers and expect too much independence from a young child. And they treat teenagers like they're young children 
and 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 require too much dependence from them. And so you, it it's it's crazy. Like they they got it flipped, <laughs> and a lot of parents are just messing up their kids. A lot of teachers are messing up their kids. The the dependence in elementary is going to look much different than high school. Middle school is going to look different than than twelfth grade. Third grade is going to look different than fifth grade. And as a parent and as a teacher, as an adult, we've got to recognize the balance of independence and dependence that is best for that age, for that child, to get them to the next level. But we are constantly, look, as an adult, the child is inevitably going to be heavy on dependence, light on independence. It should be a slow fade, not a quick jump, a slow fade. And then the independence gets higher, and the dependence gets lower. But I've known parents, and I'm not, I don't want to know, I'm not calling you out, I'm just saying I've known parents, I can disagree, this is not a theology, I'm talking philosophy at this point, but as a high school teacher, kids telling me, I didn't bring a lunch today, and I say, why did you not bring a lunch? My mom didn't pack it for me. The kid's in high school. And I said, so you came to school hungry because your mom didn't stick it in a bag? Yeah. Can you make peanut butter and jelly? Well, I don't ever have. It's easy. You take some peanut butter and some jelly. You put it on bread, put it together, and you got peanut butter and jelly. It's like magic. Do you, do you have snacks at home? Yes. Can you put them in a Ziploc bag? I guess I could do that next time. You know, here I, I'm buying lunch for these kids. I mean, the school, essentially. We're giving them free lunch. I don't want these kids to go hungry, but these kids, like, they don't think ahead. They just think if mom doesn't do it, I'm not doing it. Well, who's trained them to think that way? I can tell you it wasn't me. I didn't train them to think that way. I promise you that. The school did not train them to think that way, so who did? Well, we're kind of limited on our choices, aren't we? It's a parent figure that trained them that way. You have trained your teenage children that if mommy doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. Look, we talked about too much sacrifice on the level of an adult will break you. Even if it's a solid two-parent home, and both spouses are making the right kind of sacrifices, even if that's the case, to maintain the amount of sacrifices a three-year-old would need for 30 years, you're going to be broken even together you'll be broken, right? If you've got three children, then from the time the first one is born to the time the last one leaves home, you're talking 20 to 30 years, and some of them come back. And if you do not train them to be independent, You cannot maintain in a healthy way, a healthy mental state, the amount of dependence a child needs for 30 years, especially when they don't look like children. Look, a child's greatest strength is their cuteness, all right? When your teens are no longer cute and they've lost that, sacrificing for those teens is a lot harder than it was when they were two, when they were babies, right, and chubby little cheeks. It's a lot harder to do that. So parents, do yourself a favor. Do your children a favor. Teachers, Do the kids in our classes a favor. Balance out the dependence and independence and recognize you have got to move them to that next level. We've got to. Slow fade, right? We're not leaps and bounds. Slow fade. Get them from the beginning of the year to the end. They should be more independent than they were when you first got them. Teachers and parents, they need to be more independent every birthday. That's part of your evaluation. Are they doing more without being asked? Are they doing better when they are asked? with better attitudes. Are they doing it better? (laughs) Not just doing better at doing it, actually accomplishing it in a better way. Does it look better? Is it more complete, whatever they're doing, the task that's been given them? If not, oh, you're training them, but you're training them to fail. 
independence, you need to train them to leave. From the very beginning, I told my wife. She, doesn't, she, never, she always hates it when I say this, but I say, honey, we're training them to leave. I said, the only relationship in this family that's staying in this house forever is ours, yours and mine. These kids are leaving someday, by force or otherwise. They're not staying here the rest of their life. I will not let that happen. I, I reminisce with my wife. I said, remember when we had no kids, we would just travel. We would just go places out of the blue like nowhere. I had a motorcycle. We'd hop on the bike, and we'd go around places. We would go to Atlanta, Georgia. We'd go to Louisiana. We'd go to the beach. I said, we can't do that. I had to sell my motorcycle. I'm not bitter, okay? But sell my motorcycle because we had kids. I say, honey, I want to get back to that before I'm like 90. I can't ride a bike at 90. I'll die. You know, I, I, at some point when I can still enjoy it, I want to enjoy it. And it's, I love my kids, but, you know, I can love them from a distance and visit them occasionally, and they can bring their, their kids and so on. I don't need them to live with me for the rest of their life. My wife hates hearing that, and she glares at me, and I say, you know it's true, though. You know, we're training them to leave, honey. We're not training them to stay. So that's a big one, parents. You will make sacrifices, and you will think it's your responsibility. Teachers, you will think it's your job to make sacrifices for these kids. But you can do it to their damage. You can over-sacrifice, especially as they get older. And when you do that, you do it probably out of guilt, maybe out of ignorance, maybe because it's all you know how to do. That's all you've been doing the last 10 years of your life. You don't know to change. You've got to stop. You've got to now train them to start making sacrifices, first and foremost, for who? God, family, then themselves. Don't make that backwards. Don't say, well, make sacrifices for your good. That's part of it, but that's after family and God, right? Train them to make sacrifices for other people because then you're training them to be a good mom and dad themselves later down the road. If you don't train them to make sacrifices for other, you are setting them up for failure in their own parenting later. How do you know a great leader? Not by their ability to lead. That's not how you know a great leader. That's an average leader at best. You know a great leader by their ability to train other leaders. Now, let's change that word from leader to parent. How do you know a great parent? Not by their ability to parent their children, but to train the next generation of parents. Are you training your children to be solid, godly, healthy, victorious parents themselves someday? Unfortunately, you won't know the answer to that until it's too late. It would, whatever has been done will be done. But don't look on that day with regret when that time comes and you see your child destroying their own family because you only parented, you didn't lead them to be leaders. And part of that will be making the right sacrifices and balancing out sacrifices that as the child gets older, they begin making their own. Sacrifices, number four, don't guarantee your child's success, but the right ones Give them the best chance at it. Just because you make sacrifices for your child and even the right ones doesn't mean your child will automatically do everything great. Second Peter 3, 9, God says, It's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will is that all should be saved. God has made extreme sacrifices to see that end, and yet many still aren't saved. God's sacrifices did not guarantee people's repentance. It just set them up for the opportunity to repent and to get saved if they did repent in faith, through grace. As a parent, you cannot and should not have guilt if your child made bad choices, but you made the right sacrifices. 
you led your kids. Your kids still have to make their own choices. Just as God leads us, we have to make our own choices. I, it's broken my heart to see so many godly parents. I know, there, no, no parent's perfect, right? Of course not. But so many parents with so many regrets. They made the sacrifices for the kids. They had, they had the right sacrifices. It wasn't about them. It was about their children. Their children grew up rascals. Oh, God has a lot of those. If the greatest of fathers can have rascals, the, the prodigal son, we can as well. Our sacrifices are only setting them up for success. It doesn't guarantee anything. Teachers, you can be the greatest teacher. Make all the right sacrifices in the right balance. You're still going to have rascals. They're still going to make choices. Stop looking at the ones who run from and look to the ones who run to. Find your joy and your strength in that. And pray for the ones who are running from, knowing that even people run from God. They can run from God. They can run from you. You'll never out-sacrifice God. You'll never out-love God. And even they run from him. Number five, I like this one. Sacrifices made for your children aren't lost opportunities. They are opportunities transferred from you to your child. How many women have given up a career for their children? How many fathers have given up a career, taken a, a career they didn't choose but one they had to for the sake of their family? Moms and dads do it both. How many parents have sacrificed for their children? Many, I would imagine, so many, to some level or another. Don't look at that as, I had a dream and I lost it. Look at it as, you know what? I transferred it to my child. My dream was something I wanted to attain, and I took that and put it on hold or indefinitely eliminated it and transferred the opportunities I had to the ones I love most, my children. That works for teachers, by the way. Sometimes we walk into our classrooms and we say, what are we doing here? Like, I, I you know, got to eat. I got to have a job, but there's other jobs out there. I like kids, but do I like kids this much to be in this classroom today? <laughs> and all the sacrifices we make and all the things we think we could be doing and, and maybe would be doing. I get it. I've been there. Look, I've walked into algebra class and think, what am I doing teaching this algebra class? And I have to remind myself, I look at the kids in my class, and I'm giving up my day to do things maybe I'd rather do. And by the way, I'm the, I'm the lead pastor. I'm my own boss. The only reason I'm in that class is because I'm making myself. No one else, none of you are making me be there. If anyone could walk, there's only one person that could walk out of this school, and no one would say boo, and that's me, right? You, I would say something if you guys walked out. None of you would say something if I walked out. What would you say? So I'm like the one that could walk in this class and say, literally, I could walk out right now and just do whatever I want. And I don't. You know why? Because I look at those eyes, I look at those faces, middle school, high school, and I think I'm going to take the opportunities of this day that I had and transfer them to these kids and give these kids my opportunity. And I have to do that constantly. That is my philosophy. That's my vision. We're transferring it. Last point, running out of time. You see, it's not enough to make sacrifice for your family, but the right ones, we talked about that. Let's go to the last point, number seven. If you sacrifice everything, you will have nothing left to give. I've talked about that. I want to end with that. Because we're talking about sacrifices, the danger is you'll walk away thinking you've got to sacrifice more. Not necessarily more. You've got to sacrifice right. Evaluate which sacrifices are being made, and are they the right ones? Not necessarily more of the same. Right, The father or the mother, you don't need to spend more hours at work. You might need to change the sacrifices from work to something else. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 8.13. actually going to be preaching this passage this morning. Verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. 
The Apostle Paul is talking about tithing and giving towards missions. And he says to this church in Corinth, I don't want you to sacrifice so much for other people that now you not only have nothing left, but now you are burdened and someone has to sacrifice for you because you gave above and beyond what you are able to give. That is not the right way to sacrifice, whether financially in a church or emotionally in the home. You are not superhuman. You are flesh and blood. Your emotions have a limit. Your stress has a weight limit. Only so much before it breaks you. Some of you are already way past that. You're in the danger zone and have been for some time. The answer is not more sacrifices. The answer is less sacrifices and focusing in on the right ones. And if you have no one else in your life to help with that burden, then at the very least, turn to God. Ask for wisdom and discretion. Ask for comfort and strength. And then ask for help. Don't be shy about it. God, I need help. Put someone in my life that can help me with these sacrifices. My spouse, grandparent, friend, church member, I need someone. Stop doing it alone. You don't need to. Share the burden with God first and with God's people. Let's pray.